Testing leaves Oklahoma with no positive cases. That's the third week in a row if you're keeping track for Oklahoma Sooner fans. A couple of commitments coming in for OU football this last week. Uh, Maybe, maybe, maybe a huge miss for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail. And a top target lists his top five that includes the Sooners. Plus, all kinds of awards are coming out preseason for Oklahoma. we got to talk about that. Media poll is out for the Big 12. And Army makes a big, big announcement. Actually, the state of New York makes a big, big announcement in regards to fans. And then we got True or False coming up. What's up, everybody? This is the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Uh, start out with some sad news. I mean, by the time we've recorded this and by the time you download it and listen to it, you know that John Blake has passed away, former Oklahoma football coach, the coach for the Sooners, before Bob Stoops took the helm in 1999. Now, here's the thing. John Blake was a Sooner. Was he a great head coach? No. Was he a great person? And the answer to that question is yes. If you ever had the opportunity to deal directly with John Blake, I I had such opportunity around three different times. I was in Norman from 95 to early, mid well, mid-2000. And uh, I had the opportunity to, to be one-on-one with John Blake three different times. Guy was all class, loved his kids, loved the University of Oklahoma. Did not work out for him as a coach. But if you, if you look at the regard that John Blake is held in, and say the regard that Howard Schnellenberger is held in. Neither one of them was successful as a football coach at the University of Oklahoma, but John Blake was still highly regarded where Howard Schnellenberger was just basically exiled and excommunicated and just a blip on the radar that we wish we could get rid of. Now, the difference is between these two guys is, number one, John Blake was a Sooner. He played for this uh, for this program before he ever coached for them. But number two, John Blake was a great human being, great guy, uh, 59 years old. Hate to see him pass away so young. Uh, but also, if you're a fan of that 2000 national champion team, John Blake was not the head coach. But that, a lot of guys were on that team because of John Blake. You know, you know, guys like Roy Williams, guys like Rocky Kalmus. They were members of John Blake's recruiting classes. And the only difference is, is a little bit of structure, a little bit of organization that Bob Stoops brought in to Norman. But also, Bob Stoops was able to do something that John Blake never really could do. It was his Achilles heel at Oklahoma, and that was he got in a quarterback. He got Josh Heupel to come and write this ship. John Blake was always unsettled at the quarterback position. But Rich, you and I have talked extensively about Damon Parker and uh, how high I am on Damon Parker. He could have been, I, I still say, if he would have stayed for that 99 season, I think he would have been a first or second round draft pick and he would have been a star. I think we would talk about Damon Parker in the same regard that we talk about the greats under Bob Stoops. So, you know, Adrian Peterson and, you know, all, you know, all those guys, Kewan Jones and Chris Brown, DeMarco Murray, we think all these guys, DeMond Parker easily would have been in that conversation if he would have stayed for the 99 season. That, that was a John Blake guy. Uh, actually, it was a Howard Schnellenberger guy, but John Blake got him to stay. Um, all that said, 59 is too young to pass away. And I, I hate that. And, and I hate that a lot of people are going to remember John Blake as a failed coach, but not remember the type of person he was. You talk to any of his former players. And there was no doubt in their mind that their coach loved him. Now you were probably what five years old when John Blake was the head coach at OU. I don't, maybe a little older. 96, 97, 98. Yeah, I was definitely older than five. Okay, well, do you? You want to know my do you, exact age? Do you, don't no, you? I, I think I can work it out because you're about ten years older than my son, so I, I, I can do the math. But you don't remember anything about that era of football, do you? No, um, unfortunately for myself. I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you, Matt, and this isn't a secret to you. You and I have known each other for quite some time at this point. I wasn't a college football fan growing up. I didn't grow up watching it. I didn't, I didn't grow up playing it. My family was not huge on college football unless it was SEC football. So when you begin, uh. when you begin to talk about Oklahoma and the Oklahoma Sooners and some of the history that's there, some of the maybe even dissonance that exists when people think of the John Blake era or they think of the Howard Schnellenberger era. Now I knew those names because yes, we moved here when I was very young to the state of Oklahoma. Later I would attend the university of Oklahoma, but I I knew those coaches names. I couldn't have told you anything about them. And I was just becoming a teenager (laughs) when those guys 
had had really reached a point where they were being replaced. And that's what I'm talking about. There's there's two generations of people out there who just know John Blake as the failed coach that ultimately brought in Bob Stoops. Right. They don't know John Blake as the person um and and that's a tragedy. And I, I would encourage you if if you're in that category, those two generations, even if you were there when like I was when he was the coach at the University of Oklahoma Listen to what his former players are saying about him. Read about him and, and the things that he did and the way he cared for those players makes a huge difference in the way you're remembered. Um, so moving on from there, though, uh, Oklahoma, another round of of COVID testing, 96 tests this last week, still zero positive tests. That's three consecutive weeks that the University of Oklahoma has said, uh, hey, we're good. We're COVID free. And I think it's great. Now, we're going to talk about Oklahoma Army. We're going to talk about the 2020 season here just in, in a little bit. But here's the thing. Oklahoma's doing it right. They, they, We have said, even before they brought the players back on campus, we have said they're knocking it out of the park. And they continue to do that. I, I think they're to the point now. I mean, if you look at, compare Oklahoma, compare Norman, Oklahoma, to Morgantown, West Virginia, and you look at what's going on where you've got the athletic director for the University of West or West Virginia University saying, hey, um, if these knuckleheads would just abide by the gosh darn rules, you know, we wouldn't be having the problems that we're having with these COVID tests. So I think if you're Neil Brown in Morgantown, I think you're calling Lincoln Riley and you're saying, hey, man, uh, can you give me some advice? And I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you absolutely give advice because you want this thing to happen. You want this season to happen. And the more people that get on board with what the University of Oklahoma is doing, the better things are going to be. And so there you have it. Oklahoma, again, three consecutive weeks, no positive test. There's going to be a time. People are coming back on campus in less than a month. There's going to be a time when a player or two are going to test positive for Oklahoma. But getting them this far Three consecutive weeks. When you start out with 14 players with it, now you got zero players. Three consecutive weeks, no positive test. That's really, really good for the University of Oklahoma. It's definitely a positive sign for the University of Oklahoma. A positive sign as well for the football program as a whole. But Matt, there's one glaring issue. Regardless of the number zero that has come out of these tests, the three weeks of testing now, regardless of that number, there's a large portion of the population that still believes college football will have a shortened season where those conference games, or excuse me, the non-conference games are in jeopardy. I don't know if you've seen this. I tried to send you a message before we got started here, or actually as we were getting started, about the plus one format that the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC have all talked about. And it really centers around these Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. The Chick-fil-A kickoff games. We know that there are three games that have to be filled, and playing conference games does nothing for that that specific format. All of a sudden, it's not as if people are scrambling. It's not as if anyone... Well, the Big Ten's scrambling. The Big Ten is scrambling because they didn't check with the networks. They were like, oh, we're not playing non-conference games. And then the networks were like, hey, you know what? Uh, you owe us 12 games a season. So the Big Ten is definitely scrambling. I'm not talking about the Big Ten. I'm talking about the Chick-fil-A kickoff games specifically. Yeah, but look, here I get. I know what you're saying, and I didn't get your message before we started recording. But if you're Oklahoma, they, they're, they right now, their plan is to play their full schedule. Now, I get what you're saying, and it works out naturally for OU because they've got Tennessee on their schedule. And so Oklahoma-Tennessee will happen. It, it looks like nothing else. Oklahoma-Tennessee will happen. But Oklahoma's working with Missouri State on their protocols for COVID testing. I mean, they're, they're working to get Missouri State into Norman to play this game. And and it it gives me a little bit of solace to know that we'll at least get to see Tennessee as way it looks like. But... I don't want to see just Tennessee. I want to see Missouri State. I want to I want to see OU go play Army, even though there's no fans. I want to see that game. And so I get what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. I even agree with what you're saying. But I can tell you the way OU is preparing right now is not just to do a plus one. And the only reason they're doing plus one is they're they're here's what's happening. These uh these conferences are getting together. And they're really kind of clowning on the Big Ten because the Big Ten pulled the trigger way too early. And now the Big Ten is scrambling to try to find and make something else work. And the ACC, the Big 12, and and the SEC have said, you know what? How about this idea? Because we can maximize this 
by only having one conference game. If we have to have one conference game, we're going to maximize the revenue off of that. Conference game or non-conference? Uh, non sorry, non-conference game. Okay, just wanted to clarify yeah, that. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, if, if, we can, if we only play conference football, but we do one non-conference game, we will maximize it. And then the Big Ten's like, uh, hey, guys, do you remember us? Because we, we have to have 12 games now, according to our TV contracts. And and I love what the ACC, the SEC, and the Big 12 are doing. They're like, hey, you made your decision without us. Right. So call call the MAC and see. They're I still, mean, the, the Pac-12 may be in a similar situation. Right. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the Big Ten and the Pac-12 work something out similar to what these three conferences are doing. But what I am saying is, is though, is that I know – the University of Oklahoma, their plan, their priority is to play the full slate of games. Right, and and I'm I'm not taking that off of the table. I do believe when we look at the commissioner, when we look at the athletic directors here in the Big 12, each school is preparing as if they're playing a full slate. And we've said this on numerous occasions, Matt. The driving force behind all of this, the conversation, has been money. It, mm -hmm. It's the it's the revenue, and when you begin to take that off the table, it not only does that affect football, it affects the entirety of the sporting community at each individual university and in each conference. What I'm seeing here with these Chick-fil-A kickoff games is a fantastic plan that can be adopted. When we begin to look at the non-conference portion of the schedule, there are certain games that are typically highlighted over the rest. Think back in the day when Oregon was traveling to play, say, Alabama, or was it Auburn? I, I'm blanking on who their actual opponent was at that point in time. You've seen others play in Jerry World, mm -hmm. big-name teams relatively close to the Dallas Metro who have met up, and one has gone on to really secure themselves as one of the better teams in the country at the very beginning of the season, while the other one said, you know what, we've got an adequate squad, but we recognize we've got to do a little, uh, we've got some catch up to do. Ohio State was a team that many people thought was in that boat years ago when the college football playoff began. But what I'm ultimately looking at, what I'm ultimately saying here is that if we can get three games, those specific games, whether it's the SEC opponent, whether it's a ACC opponent, whether it's a Big 12 opponent, if those three games are scheduled, it bodes well for the rest of of these games, these non-conference games, actually happening and taking place. Right, as long as you're not playing Clemson. I mean, do you want Clemson early in the season? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Hey, I, I don't know, Matt. Maybe, maybe it's no. that springboard. <laughs> no, I want nothing to do with Clemson right now. You think Ohio State wants them right now? I think Ohio State wants anybody right now because they're they're that that's a bigger mess than what the, the Big 12 is dealing with. Um, Oklahoma picks up two wide receiver commitments this last week, and then they missed out, it looks like, on a big, big in-state product. Uh, this is a Sooner Nation podcast. We'll talk about that. Oklahoma adds the 12th commitment to the class of 2021 with Caleb Johnson, and then the second commitment for 2022, Jordan Hudson, a pair of four-star wide receivers. And Rich, uh, Hudson's a four-star kid, a lot of talent, but a lot of high school ball left ahead of him. So I want to focus. I mean, it's a good thing. First offensive commitment, only two for 2022 for the Sooners. But Caleb Johnson, this this is a kid that is under the radar when you talk about the big name receivers that Oklahoma's been going after, you know, and they 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 clear they've landed Mario Williams. Um Emeka Ebuka is still out there on the fence somewhere. But Caleb Johnson, he's a wide receiver defensive back, so he's labeled as an athlete. The thing that defines him, and we wrote about him a long time ago at Heartland Sports, this kid is fast. His, his specialty is speed. He's that Hollywood Brown type. He's clocked sub 4-4 in the 40, a four-star receiver, had over 20 scholarship offers, including the likes of LSU, Tennessee, Alabama, Florida State, Florida, Texas A&M. They all wanted him, but Oklahoma got him. And that's a big, big get for the Sooners. But Oklahoma's not getting him on the offensive side of the ball, as you've alluded to. Well, no, that's, I, I'm just talking about the the um, the caliber of player that he is. And I, I'm telling you, this kid will play some offensive football. He's he's coming as a corner. You're right. He's going to be a corner. But you know what? He's going to be a kick returner, a punt returner, a special. They're, they're going to yeah. have some special. This guy's too fast to keep. He's perfect for Alex Grinch in that 
he subs four four, but he's too fast to not have something in there, some way this kid can score. And that's nothing out of the norm for the University of Oklahoma. More specifically, it's nothing out of the norm for a guy like Lincoln Riley. When you take a guy who has that kind of a speed, we talked about Trey Brown for quite some time mm-hmm. and the returnability that he has. Just because he's a defensive player doesn't mean that he can't return a punt, can't return a kick. That's the mold Yes, a defensive recruit, but that's the mold if they're going to use him in any way on the offensive side, putting no, points on the board. I, there, that's listen, where I see I'm it. I'm telling you right now, there's it, there's no way this kid plays three or four years of football at the University of Oklahoma and doesn't take an offensive snap. There's no way. Is he going to be an every down offensive player? No. But are there going to be special packages that he's that they're going to design to put him in to create space? Absolutely. This kid will be – he's going to be a defensive back. You're right. I misled when I, when I said that. But he – I'm thinking offensively what they can do with him. And if you go – and we've got heartland-sports.com. Uh, we've got an article up about him. Uh, Oklahoma adds speed with their 12th commitment for 2021. That's the name of the article. We've got video of him there. And you look at the very, one of the very first plays, it's a scrimmage, but he totally baits the quarterback into throwing an interception. And he uses his speed. He lets the receiver get a cushion on him, and then the ball's in the air, and bam, just like that. He's not only closed the cushion, he's passed the receiver and has the interception. That's the kind of guy he's going to be. He's going to be a great cornerback that's going to be a lockdown guy. And you think about teams like Baylor, you know, and they had the Denzel Mims kid, and and, and the speed that Baylor has thrown out there. You, you talk about Trey Brown, and the, I, I still say it's the biggest play of the Big 12 championship game when Trey Brown runs 70 yards to make the tackle that ultimately end up saving the game for Oklahoma. He's going to have that type of speed. But again, I, there's, there's just the skill sets that is too great. In my opinion for Lincoln Riley, not to go to Alex Grinch and say, Hey coach, uh, once a week, just once a week, I need him in an offensive practice. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. There's zero chance. I'm telling you zero chance. I'm putting it down right now. Zero chance he plays three years of football or four years of football and never takes an offensive snap. And you may be right in that. When we look at what Caleb Johnson brings to the table, what we have to recognize is that he's very raw on the defensive side of the ball. A guy who has predominantly played at the receiver position throughout his high school career would look at transitioning to a full-time defender at the collegiate level because he's going to be a two-way player for the his, his the remainder of his senior year right. or what is there of a senior year. I like the speed. I like the potential there. But again, I think if you're going to take a guy and you're going to make him a defender, that you've got to take him and full-time plug him into that mm-hmm. and not have him swapping between offensive practice and a defensive practice just because he has that flexibility or that versatility. You don't think you say it's a bad idea to make him? I, I don't know. I mean, I, Matt, we, you, look, Oklahoma I, tried it last year and it didn't work out too splendidly. With who? The receiver on the defensive well, side but that, of the ball. That was out of a little bit of safety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking about bridges, and and I get it. That that was that was out of a, that was out of a need. He was an offensive player. You needed mm-hmm. depth at at the safety spot. This is going to be a different situation. This kid will be in the defensive room four out of five days. But I, I'm I'm just telling you. Lincoln Riley's too smart to not try to do something with him knowing about the advantage he's going to have at, at just speed. He's too smart to not take advantage of that. And so there will be not every down, not every series or position possession, but there will be times where Lincoln Riley said, okay, we're going to run this set and Caleb Johnson is going to be the slot. And that doesn't mean he's going to get the ball, but, if you're if you're an opposing defensive coordinator and you know the speed that's suddenly in the slot, everyone's looking there. And so you throw the ball there, you hand it off, or you do whatever. But I'm telling you, I just I, I'm willing to lay down my twenty dollars on the table right now and say, in four years or in three years, th- there's zero chance he takes no offensive snaps. Okay, I'm gonna hold you to it. Okay. For, I mean, I'm gonna take your twenty bucks. So what's twenty twenty four? I might owe you twenty bucks. We'll see. Well, we'll have to go back here. Because by twenty twenty four, you're gonna say that was a fifty dollar bet. Here's <laughs> no, so, I probably won't even remember. I'll be like, that was fifty cents. Here's here's where it gets a little bit complicated for me. Oklahoma 
is all of a sudden building this track record of bringing in top wide receivers. We've seen that with the previous class. We're mm-hmm. seeing it with the current class and we're seeing it with future classes well, yeah, yeah, I mean, evidenced by, by 2022 right, commence. Right. When you put that type of talent in a room and then you have a guy who's a majority of the time spending any practice any learning that he has to do, spending it with the defensive coaches, for him to break into a little bit of a rotation, even just to say, let me use you in this very specific instance, mm-hmm. I, I just don't know that it's going to happen. Now, where I could see an instance of him taking an offensive snap is when Oklahoma wants to um, do a trick play or, Hail Mary. or go, yeah, I mean, you could go for that as well, or some kind of disguised wildcat where they just want that speed moving towards the edges. You know, like a talent loves talent. Okay. And if, if you're, if you're a Trajan bridges or you're a, a Hazelwood, you know, you're, you're one of these guys that's these elite receivers, you're Austin Stogner and you're, you're getting the majority of the, you're, you're getting a safety shadowed over top of you every time you line up. And when you go in motion, you see the entire defense shift towards the side of the field that you're going in motion towards you don't mind having that other guy on the field with you because you know that limits what a defense can do for you. And just because, like I said, just because he's on the field doesn't mean he's going to be the guy who gets the ball. But I Right, pro- and I've, I've never said that. But I'm telling you, these other, these other guys are going to say, you're going to run a five-receiver set, and you're going to put Caleb Johnson as, as one of those five. They're going to love that because it means multiple guys will be left in ISO one-on-one type coverage and also means a guy like Austin Stogner would probably get matched up with a linebacker or, or a safety, not a nickelback. So it becomes suddenly just by adding one guy into the mix, it becomes advantageous to two or three guys. And so if you're these top flight receivers, you love that idea. If you're Caleb Johnson, you love the idea that you might be the guy in one-on-one. And what is Lincoln Riley a master of? He's a master of finding the mismatch. Finding that, hey, we're going to snap the ball, and Spencer, you're going to look this way, and you're going to look that way. One of these two guys, one-on-one coverage, who's ever the hot guy on one-on-one, that's where you're throwing the ball. And that's what that's what Caleb Johnson will do. Again, I don't think it's going to be in every possession, or every every set, but either, I, I'm just my, – my offensive brain is going to work, and I'm thinking what I can – I remember Andre Wolfolk. I mean, this worked for this worked back in 2000 and 2001. <laughs> It'll still work now. Um, I want to talk about. I want to talk about before we get into Kendall Daniels. I want to talk about Tristan Lee. who uh, announced his top five, and Oklahoma. I don't think by any any surprise is in the top five, along with Clemson, LSU, Alabama, uh, and Ohio State. Now, this is a guy that Caleb Caleb Williams has been actively going after Tristan Lee. I mean, this is a guy that Caleb Williams wants. In fact, and I, w- I went back and looked it up. One of his May blog posts for Sports Illustrated, here's what Caleb Williams says. Tristan Lee is one of my good friends, one of my good buddies. He's a pretty good ball player. He has a bunch of offers, I think 40, including LSU, Maryland, and Oklahoma. Now, he mentioned those three specifically because if you remember, those were the three finalists for Caleb Williams. And then, and then Williams goes on to say this. I'm recruiting him to come be my left tackle and protect my backside. He can get whatever he wants to come with me. I'll pay for his freaking dinner every day. So Oklahoma is not only going after Tristan Lee, but so is Caleb Williams. And the composite rankings for 24-7 has him as the number one player from the state of Virginia and the number four overall offensive tackle for this 2021 cycle I mean, I still, I still feel like if the decision was made today, I feel like it's Clemson. But I think Oklahoma has gained some traction and some some momentum. Uh, one of the 24/7 guys threw a crystal ball prediction for Oklahoma, but he still has more crystal ball predictions for Clemson than anywhere else. But OU is not out of the running at all for this kid. And here's what, I, and because here's what, I, here's what I'm getting to. When you look at the talent that this guy has. And when you look at Bill Bedenboe's track record for putting offensive linemen, not just in the NFL, but putting offensive linemen in the NFL at high draft picks, I think this guy could be almost equally impactful 
by coming to the University of Oklahoma as a Caleb Williams. The impact of him arriving on campus would almost equal that of Caleb Williams. That's how good he is. That's how big of a difference he can make, in my opinion. Do you agree or disagree with that? I do definitely agree. When I look at where Oklahoma sits, the analysis that they've done, but more importantly, the job they've done in producing NFL caliber talent along the offensive line speaks volumes. There's not many programs that can boast that same level of success with these offensive linemen coming out of high school. Now, Tristan Lee being one of the better ones, imagine the trajectory that a program like Oklahoma with Bill Beanbow could set him on. Whether it's set in stone or not that he goes to Clemson is still up for debate. There are other names that Oklahoma is considering. And if Oklahoma can get a Tristan Lee and a Bryce Foster, you begin to talk about one of the most dominant offensive lines or potential to be one of the most dominant offensive lines here in the next two to three years and for a sustained period of time. Right. 100% agree with you on that. Now, Kendall Daniels, it looks like he's getting away from Oklahoma. Uh, We got to talk about that. I don't like to say it, but I don't mind saying it, if that makes sense to you. It looks like I was wrong. I I don't mind saying when I was wrong. I just don't like that I'm wrong about this. I have been saying for I don't know how many months now, Kendall Daniels, the number two player in the state of Oklahoma, a lock to come to the University of Oklahoma. That's changed in the last week, where Kendall Daniels is now trending towards, and if you listen to what the experts say, he's going to go to Texas A&M. And what it comes down to is position. This is the big thing. This is where this is what it draws out to. Kendall Daniels wants to play safety in college. He's a star right now at Beggs High School. He's a star at safety. He's 6'4", 190 pounds. And he's a star. But was Beggs 2A, 3A? He doesn't have the speed. This is not my opinion. This is what I... I'm hearing that the Oklahoma coaches are saying he doesn't have the speed to be that star as a safety on the collegiate level, particularly in the Big 12. Now, Jordan Mukes does. Jordan Mukes plays, what, 6A football? He plays for Choctaw. So he's a star at a bigger level against higher-profile athletes, and they're recruiting Jordan Mukes to play safety. They're recruiting, they're, they're recruiting Kendall Daniels to play linebacker. And it's not just Oklahoma. Clemson wants him to play linebacker. But Texas A&M has said, hey, man, you want to play safety? Come play safety for us. And that's it's a different... The SEC is changing. But right now, the SEC is different than the Big 12, different than the ACC, because you don't have as many spread offenses that, you, that you're going to face. But it looks like what it comes down to at the end of the day... It comes down to where does Kendall Daniels want to play on the field and where does he want to play in location? I He wants to play at the University of Oklahoma. I, I don't mind saying that. I don't think I'm wrong about that. He wants to play at the University of Oklahoma, but he doesn't want to play linebacker. And that just, I, I, that boggles my mind because this kid could be a Kenneth Murray type guy. He, he could follow the exact same career path that Kenneth... Kenneth Murray wasn't a linebacker when he came to Oklahoma. And, and Kendall Daniels could follow that exact same... He's got the same body type. He's got the same speed. He's got the same athleticism. And he will develop the strength that Kenneth Murray had by the time he left Oklahoma. And they took Kenneth Murray, a kid who wasn't a linebacker. They made him a linebacker. And then they made him a millionaire by making him a first-round draft pick. And Kendall Daniels is saying, yeah, I, I don't think I want to do that. I think I can get it done at safety. So here's my question. You're Kendall Daniels. Is, is Texas A&M, I mean, a legitimate question. People, Aggie fans who don't listen to us, that's okay. They would look at this question as a, as a slam. I'm, I'm slamming their team. Let's say five years. In the next half decade, in the next five years, how many championships, be it conference or national, how many championships do you think Texas a is going to play for in the next five years? Compare that to how many championships do you think the University of Oklahoma is going to play for in the next five years? 
I do think in the SEC, I, I do believe that the power is shifting. Alabama has been your perennial favorite, not only to win the conference, but also to win the national championship. Keep the, in mind, though, keep in mind before you finish your thought, A&M's going on probation. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm saying, okay. Matt, is while the power is shifting in the SEC, it's not shifting to the West. Okay. It's right. definitely shifting to the East. We're seeing the rise of Georgia. Once again, we're seeing Florida begin to challenge once again and again, these are East earn teams. It's not coming to the West. I know that LSU just won the national championship, but you've got to look at the team that they composed. That was a once in a lifetime, once in a generation team that may never come along again at LSU. I'm not saying that it will. I'm not saying that it won't, but it was that caliber. It was definitely lightning a in a bottle. It Correct. Was, it was, you got all the stars aligned Correct. for the Tigers. Yeah. Correct. So the power, it's not shifting to the West. It is shifting to the East. But I believe Georgia is going to be that one. If they continue to recruit at the same rate that they have under Kirby Smart, they're going to be the ones who are starting to pull on those accolades, who are starting to pull in the respect and annually are being thrown into that national championship conversation instead of a program like Alabama. I don't know how much longer Nick Saban has, and I asked this question two weeks ago to you. I still believe it to be true because I didn't give my opinion on it, but if Nick Saban wins one more national championship at Alabama, he will retire, and that'll be it. That will be the legacy that he leaves behind because he will be in a category all of his own if that happens. So Texas A&M could be a sleeping giant. Just not in the next five years. I don't see them challenging like some of the other programs that are currently on the list or in um, the conversation for a safety like this kid out of bags. Right. And and the thing is, is and I've said this, I've said it on the podcast. I've said this for years. I've said it back back when Texas A&M was in the Big 12. I've, I, Texas A&M is one of those programs. If you can buy them for what they're actually worth, and sell them for what they think they're worth, you'll make a lot of money. I want to go back to Kendall Daniels really quickly. Um, and I know that that we started there and we've kind of strayed talking about the SEC and now Texas A&M. When it comes to Kendall Daniels, I get the argument. I get the angle that you're coming from in saying that Daniels wants to play safety and potentially wants to ride that wave into the NFL as a member of the secondary, whereas Oklahoma, you've mentioned Clemson as well, wants him or is recruiting him at that linebacker position. I know that there's growing popularity to take these kids who are on the taller end of the spectrum, that 6'4", 6'3", range, keep them as what's being called the rover position, Mm -hmm. and really having that versatility, really having the ability to do multiple different things with a player. And that's what I liked about Kendall Daniels. Oklahoma, Clemson, any team in the country could use him in that role, but I don't see, even if he chooses and signs with Texas A&M, I think that that role morphs more into a tweener role than anything, regardless of where he goes. Well, and, and if you look at Jordan Mukes and you look at Kendall Daniels, their body is almost identical. Identical in height, identical in weight. The only difference is Jordan Mukes is faster. You, the tape doesn't lie. You, you, can't, right. you can't dispute that. But when you talk about the linebacker position, Kendall Daniels is fast for a linebacker. The way Kenneth Murray was fast for a linebacker. Why? Because Kenneth Murray wasn't a linebacker in high school. They morphed him into who he was. And the only thing that just it blows my mind is that you've got the perfect example of what the University of Oklahoma can do with a guy like Kendall Daniels. All you got to do is look at Kenneth Murray when he came on campus. Look at Kenneth Murray when he left campus. And you say, Kendall, this is what we will do with you in three to four years. And you're like, yeah, it's okay. I'll, I'll go play safety. I don't get it, but at the end of the day, the, Kendall Daniels is going to do what Kendall Daniels feels is best for Kendall Daniels. Mm-hmm. But I, I do know, I'm confident in saying this, if Alex Grinch called him back up, so you know what, we're going to take Jordan Mukes and we're going to make him the linebacker and we'll put you at safety. I'm, I'm pretty confident he would come back into the fold for Oklahoma. But Alex Grinch isn't going to do that because Jordan Mukes on the speed factor is better at that position. 
And that's just what it comes down to. Yeah, I think there are several complications to the argument when you begin to look at Kendall Daniels and where he fits in with Oklahoma. Oklahoma sent out numerous offers, and it's very evident that they're going after defenders. Does that have something to do with it? Does the number of offers have something to do with it? We'll never know. Does academics play a role here? Those aren't things that we know on the surface level. Sure, you can get some insider information, and you can find these things out as long as you've got the right connections. That's not me, though. And so I look at it and I'm saying, what what other complications are here outside of just the position that could force a guy like Kendall Daniels to begin to reconsider what everyone thought to be true and that he was headed toward Norman? Yeah. And again, I think it from what I understand, from what I read, from what I've been told, it comes down just to the position. I, I don't think it's anything about who they, they've offered. I don't think it's anything about I really don't think it's anything academic. I mean, I, there's nothing. That would let me think that there was an academic problem because even if there was, he wouldn't be going to Texas A&M. But everything I've been told and everything I've read supports what I've been told is that this just comes down to the position. And they're not. Yeah. So they're not going to see eye to eye. And so Oklahoma, I don't think they're done with him. They're not they're not done recruiting him. Right. He he's supposed to announce on August 1st. So that's coming up in in about eight days from when we're recording this, and, and we'll find out. And official visits haven't even happened either. I know that Kendall Daniel was was scheduled to be on campus at Texas A and M for their spring game. Everyone had assumed he would be on campus in Norman at some point throughout the summer. Neither of those have happened. There's a lot that could change. A commitment could come, and then we could still see that change as well. So we will we will wait for that August 1st date as a heavy indicator of where Kendall Kendall Daniel's head is at, but it's not an end all be all just because he's committed somewhere. Right. Okay, so I want to talk about guys who are on campus right now, members of the team. You got a ton of guys up for preseason awards and accolades. I think all together when you when you talk about preseason All-American, preseason All-Conference and all these watch lists, there's about 20 different accolades and award watch lists that Oklahoma players are on. Just this last week alone, since we last recorded uh, on Thursday of last week, Gabe Burkich on the Lou Groza watch list. Austin Stogner named to the Mackey watch list. Deshaun White to the Buckus watch list. Creed Humphrey, Adrian Ely, Outland watch list. And Ronnie Perkins to the Bronco Nagurski watch list. Ronnie Perkins is the guy I want to talk about. Because... He's also on the uh, he's preseason All Big Twelve. He's on the Brock Nagurski, and he's on the uh, Bairdnick watch award watch list. So that there's three three big accolades for Ronnie Perkins, and this is a guy that you and I have talked extensively about. As far as we don't know what the suspension is, the suspension is up to half of the season, so that could be you know five up to five games for Oklahoma next season. Unless the appeal comes through and everything's washed clean. It looks like as if that is not going to happen. I mean, the the odds are slim of this appeal coming through. Ronnie Perkins, clearly to me, when you talk about Trajan Bridges, Ramondre Stevenson, Ronnie Perkins, Perkins is a guy. His, His loss, potentially for half of the season, our five games, his loss clearly hurts the worst. When you when you look at the potential, I love Ramondre Stevenson. If if you if you listen to this podcast for any length of time, a year ago when Ramondre Stevenson was coming on campus, I was raving about him. In fact, if you'll remember, I said this guy runs like Joe Mixon, but with Samaj P. Ryan's power. I have been a huge fan of Ramondre Stevenson since day one. I was one of the first guys to start touting him, and you look at last season. Guy was, he was at times a man amongst boys. Scored the game winning touchdown in the Big 12 championship against Baylor. Had some key moments for OU last season. But I don't, I don't consider his loss with these suspensions anywhere close to the impact that Ronnie Perkins' absence is going to have. You agree or disagree with that? I do. I have to agree. Ronnie Perkins is a game-changing type player. And Oklahoma, many people would have argued, is Oklahoma's best pass rusher. 
completely forget about the stats because the stats may tell you something completely different. But when we look at Ronnie Perkins, we knew that he commanded attention. We knew that he had an innate ability to get into the backfield and to make things begin to happen or to make the pocket shift and the situation for the quarterback begin to change rapidly. That's what Ronnie Perkins brings to the table. When you play in the Big 12, it's imperative that you have a guy who fits that mold on the field for every single down and for every single team that you face. We look at this year specifically, 2020, and all of a sudden the quarterback play is going to elevate itself right. to a new level, whereas last year, point. last year we were talking about the running backs right, right. being the dominant force here of the offenses in the Big 12. Now you've got five candidates um, up for awards at least half of the conference who is competing for a, the 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 best quarterback mm-hmm. in the Davey country O'Brien. yeah thank right. you Davy O'Brien award the quarterback play is going to ratchet up pretty quickly mm-hmm. and all of a sudden these defensive coordinators are going to say okay who's who's my pass rusher and what's a clear path or how do I cause a little chaos using the talents, using the speed, using the strength that they possess, whether it's on the edge or it's in the middle, how can I disrupt things that are going to happen for these quarterbacks who are looking to throw the ball early and often? Yeah, and people are going to say, well, you got Jalen Redman and Caleb Kelly coming back healthy, which is great, but still, I mean, I think Jalen Redman is probably one of the most slept-on defensive guys in the Big 12. I think post postseason he's going to be on a lot of award and accolade list and i concur especially if ronnie perkins is absent right but what i'm saying is jalen redmond is an up-and-comer where ronnie perkins is an established pass rusher and having ronnie perkins on the field with jalen redmond will only make jalen redmond better where having jalen redmond on the field without ronnie perkins means dude you got to produce and you better hope perry on winfrey lives up to his hype and you better hope caleb kelly is 100% where he was, if not past where he was, when he lost his job to Buzzy Bolton two years ago. So that's that's what it all comes down to. The difference of Ronnie Perkins on the field and the difference of Ronnie Perkins off the field night and day because on the field makes everybody else better because of the amount of tension he draws. Off the field, those other guys have to be better and you have to be better right now with no, no exceptions. That's what it comes down to. Right. And... I, I, if there was one point I would continue to drive home, it's basically going to be me beating the dead horse here and talking about the quarterback play. But for Oklahoma specifically, when you look at what they're bringing back, this is a team that that struggled defensively at times. You want every working piece to be available in order to take that next step forward, in order to groom some of these guys who are going to sit on the the two deep, but are still considered inexperienced players who will get playing time. You want to have that solid go-to guy. That's why I think it hurts Oklahoma so much. You've mentioned in the middle of this defensive line, you lose a guy like Neville Gallimore, who was better than I think what people expected him to be at the beginning of the season because he finally lived up to the promise. He finally lived up to the potential that he flashed time and time again throughout his career with the Oklahoma Sooners. Now, all of a sudden, you've got to fill that, and it puts that pressure back on the outside on these defensive ends mm-hmm. to assume a lot of that responsibility. But at the same time, you said the word pr- productive. They have to be productive, and more importantly, Jalen Redmond has to be productive. Agree, yeah. And I, I know I'm just echoing what you're saying. I get that. But it's absolutely 100% true. Okay, we got our, our final segment coming up. we got to talk about Big 12 preseason uh, rankings officially out. Plus, Rich's, it's Richard's turn to ask the questions for true or false. All right, Big 12 media poll is out. Oklahoma, no surprise, number one in the conference. Oklahoma State, number two. Texas checks in at number four. And, you know, it has the – when you, if you look at what the Big 12 put out there, it has the first place votes in parentheses. I think there should be names attached to this. I really do. Who are the four members of the media who voted Texas number one? I, I need to know who are the four members. How do, how do four people vote Texas number one and no one votes for Iowa hey, State? I just I need to throw this out there. You said Texas number four. Did you mean number three? No, I said number three, but they got four first place votes. Yeah, we're clear. Texas number three, four first place right. votes. I get I get six four I get six. I get that Oklahoma State got six first place votes because. You got one of the best running backs, one of the best receivers in the country. Yeah, the offense is definitely looking extremely explosive, but don't 
don't discredit this defense of Oklahoma State either. Well, we we're right. going to get into our our defensive position rankings throughout the coming month, and I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised if you're an Oklahoma State Cowboys fan that they're going to fall. At least for me, right now, they're going to fall in that upper echelon in the top half hey, of I'm, the conference I'm in a majority the one who of the rankings. Defensive line number one last week, right? So that's. But I'm saying I get I get that Oklahoma State gets first place votes. I need to know the logic behind Texas getting first place votes. This is beyond Matt just being a Texas hater. What have you seen from the University of Texas in the last three years, understanding what they lost from last season? What have you seen that you're going to give them not one, not two, not three, but you're going to find four members of the media to vote for them number one? Got two things for you. Okay, it's Don't color, say Sam Ellinger. It's the color of the jerseys, okay. All right. and it is the name no. on the back of the quarterback's no. jersey. No. Yes. Again, what have you seen? Other than it doesn't guy matter who what freezes. I've seen. You blitz him at his face, he freezes. It doesn't the, matter what you've I've seen. seen that they beat Georgia. <laughs> that I, was two years ago. Look, like, that I, was two years ago they I know beat Georgia. That, I know that you and I can sit here and laugh about these things, but there is this weird haze I'm going to assume that is put around members of the media when it comes to Texas in into thinking one, it's the the program with the largest fan base. They have the biggest footprint of any program in the Big 12, and it demands respect. That's where the four votes come from. It doesn't matter the talent on the field. It doesn't matter the coaches who are directing that talent. It comes because of that the name across the front of the jersey, and that's it's nothing more to me. I could I bet I could guess the four members of the media. I, I really bet I could. Um, but here's all I'm going to say about Sam Ellinger. If it, the year to make that step was last year, that that stride of improvement was last year. But what did we see from Sam Ellinger last year? Blitzy right at him, right at him, and he's going to freeze. Also, what did we see from Sam Ellinger last year? Not a lack of field awareness. Oh, and what happened from last year to this year? He lost his top two receivers. And now we're going to expect him to be the guy that leads Texas into the playoffs? No. No, it just doesn't happen that way. You give me a, a marked increase in productivity. You show me improvement from year two to year three. That's that's when you're supposed to make the big step, right? You show me that, and I'll buy your argument. But you can't show me that on film from last year. And you haven't even mentioned the fact that Tom Herman is replacing both his defensive right. and his offensive coordinator. They're installing new systems, new schematics that are going to demand Sam Ellinger throw the ball more than tucking and running like he has in the previous offenses. Here's the, as you were talking, the one solution I came up with for why the media would give four first place votes to Texas. And it's that they, they got mixed up on the color of orange. Okay. Shouldn't have been the burnt. <laughs> shouldn't have shouldn't been, have the, been the Halloween orange. orange instead of the burnt orange. Okay. 90, 90 votes total for the big 12. Texas gets four. Oklahoma State gets six. And then Oklahoma run away with 80 first place votes. Sooners pick to win the Big 12 preseason. Oklahoma State number two. Texas three. Iowa State four. Baylor five. TCU six. Kansas State seven. West Virginia eight. Texas Tech nine. Kansas 10. Richard, Texas Tech, in my opinion, will not finish in the bottom half of the Big 12. Okay. When I look at that bottom half, I think... In the bottom half. I mean, that... From six to ten, look Baylor. Baylor will. I, I believe Baylor will be from six to ten, and I believe somewhere Texas Tech will be from three to five. That's quite impressive. That they are going to have to make some, a a big leap, in my opinion. I get where you're I believe coming in Matt from. Wells. I get where you're coming from. You look at the running game that they've produced, which is uncharacteristic of a Texas Tech. We talked about the dominance of the running backs and the reemergence of them carrying the teams in the Big 12. That definitely happened in a way, shape, and form for Texas Tech with Sir Roderick Thompson. Needless to say, Mm -hmm. I don't know that he's enough to change this projection. I'm going to say that they're going to finish in the bottom half. Okay, well. Time will tell. That's defense. Time. You can't stop anybody. Well, Texas Tech's never played defense. I mean, yeah, but if you, <laughs> especially this year, if you can't stop anybody, I have no confidence in saying they'll finish three to five. Mike Leach had them on the cusp of the Big 12 championship and the BCS without playing defense. It can happen. The cusp. The cusp. I'm using my fancy As words. They fell out. Okay. Um, New York Governor Andy Cuomo makes a law, makes a rule. No sports, no sporting events can have fans. That includes high school, college, and pro. 
So that means Oklahoma Army, no fans. I, I'm okay with that. I wasn't going to go to that game anyway. I was always planning on watching that one on TV. But here's the danger. Here, here's the here's where we got to be careful. No fans doesn't necessarily mean no game. And I, I've when we put this out on our social media and the groups that we're involved in, the comments were, "Well, that game's not going to happen." That, that Oklahoma fans need to be prepared for no fans in Norman. And if there's no fans in Norman, that doesn't mean no games in Norman. And I think that we run the risk of borrowing trouble. Oklahoma's proved. They're three weeks solid. They can, they've can they proven that they've got a model in place that will keep their players from contracting COVID. Now, the next big test to that model is going to be when everyone comes on campus. And then the next big test after that is going to be when they start playing games. But you can't say, because Army's not going to have fans in the stands, you can't say that this game's not going to happen. I think we're borrowing trouble when we jump into that. Then this is what we're going back all the way to the beginning of the podcast. Oklahoma is planning to play football. Their plans right now is to play football and to play it beginning August 29th with Missouri State. They want to play football. They want to play it right now. And is there a chance that that won't happen? 100% there's a chance that won't happen. But should we be planning on that not to happen? No. How come we can't think positively? How come we can't say, man, that stings that you can't take that trip of a lifetime to West Point, but at least we get to watch the game on TV? You know, last time you played Army, I'm pretty sure it was a pay-per-view event. I promise you this will not be a pay-per-view event. Let's, let's celebrate football. If you give me the choice, you can have no football because no one can be in the stands, or you can have football and you watch it on TV. I'm taking football on TV. University of Texas announced this last week, 50% capacity. That is the most realistic expectation I think you can have if you're an Oklahoma football fan. 50% capacity. That said, you need to be prepared for no fans. But I think we're beyond the speculation now. I I, I think to speculate over 50% capacity is getting kind of crazy out there. There's a greater chance that we're going to have football with no fans than there is that we're going to have football with packed stadiums. Not going to happen. Texas Tech, 50% capacity. University of Texas, 50% capacity. It's coming to Oklahoma, and we got to be ready for that. But let's stop borrowing trouble by just saying, well, you know what? Season's not going to happen. Do you know why they're saying no fans? They're saying no fans because they're doing everything they can do in the state of New York. And the reason why they're saying 50% capacity in the, in the state of Texas because they're doing everything that they can do to give us a football season. And if we have to have a football season with no fans in the stands, that stinks, but at least we get a football season. So that's my rant for today's podcast. It will be interesting. I don't know if you've gotten to watch any of these, what I'm going to call exhibition games in the MLB. Right. Well, it's a real deal now, starting tonight. So right. we're have recording you, have this. Have you seen real any deal. of them, though? Yeah, and I love how they're piping in the, the right. crowd noise. I, I, I love that. They, they've been tweaking some things, talking with players to find a right amount of volume mm-hmm. where it seems like a live game atmosphere with crowd Okay, cardboard crowd in the stands because that's how the MLB has done it. I do think we could see that trickle in to some of these other sports. I don't know that college football is one of those. I can't see why it wouldn't be where they put cardboard fans in the stands and then pipe in the the um, noise. But what what really intrigued me was that the MLB was toying with a way to actually pipe in humans from their home to the stadiums. That would be fun. That would be extremely. But that would also be dangerous. Why? It's just it'd be like a loud crowd noise. Yeah, I'm just saying you, that your would... your little speaker on your little one seat. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how that would work. Texas sucks. I mean, you're gonna scream that in the stands, but can you, I, I guess I guess there's no difference from the guy screaming in the in the all, in the stands or screaming through his microphone. All I can see is we're talking dollar signs for everything mm-hmm. that happens. Ching, there's ching. gonna be some kind right. of subscription, some kind of pay plan that is attached. To it, and I don't care if that's the MLB, if that's college football, or whatever that sport is. But it is going to be an interesting ride to see how each of these different um, leagues, if you will, each of these different entities decides what they're going to do and how they're going to do that as the season progresses. That's all I wanted to add. All right. Well, then we're going to close this out with true or false, and you're asking the questions, my man. So take it away. 
Right here, right now. Yeah, let's do it. I'm I was sorry, like, I "What?" Thought, I thought you're just balls deep. no. You you're touching your you're computer. Just, I was looking at, at our, our recording gotcha, time. Gotcha. Hey, some of these matter. You scared me because you just like stop, like deer yeah, in the headlight. Like I don't have true or false ready. No, I, I do. Some of these are going to fall into some categories that you and I have already discussed. So you don't need to rehash these in full. But okay. They were the five questions that I had decided on before I ever saw a slate of topics that we were going to discuss, and I decided not to go back and change them, which. Is very fitting because from front to back, from start to finish, we're going to have this cohesive piece right. that is called the podcast. So here's what I want to know. The first question, true or false, the Red River rivalry will move to a home and home for the next two years. I hope it's false. I, and I think it's false. And here's the reason why. Because 2021 will be different from 2020. And who's the home team in 2020? Oklahoma. So if you're playing this game in Norman with no fans, 0% chance you're going to Austin, Texas for no fans. And so I think you you work on an agreement with Jerry Jones, Texas Stadium, or you leave it in the Cotton Bowl because, again, Texas is not going to give 50% of their tickets to Oklahoma fans to travel to Austin in 2021. And Oklahoma is not going to want to play Texas at home in front of an empty stadium and then have to take a road trip to Austin to play in front of a crowded stadium. So I say false. It won't happen. They'll figure out a way to play it in Dallas. Sticking with the scheduling, when we look at the current schedule, and I know that nothing's off the table. I'm not attempting to get an answer to say it'll be one way or the other. But when we begin to talk about the scheduling, and we've mentioned this plus one format between the ACC, the Big 12, as well as the SEC, true or false, Oklahoma will only play one non-conference game this season false because they they want to play Missouri state and they want to play Missouri state next month. And so if they end up only playing one conference game, it's not because the university of Oklahoma made the decision. It's because the big 12 made the decision, but the big 12 is driven by dollars and you got programs like Oklahoma putting everything in place to play a full slate of games. So uh, I'm going to say false. I think Oklahoma may not have fans, but I think Oklahoma gets all their games in. We did just take a look at the the Big 12 media rankings preseason. We've seen that Oklahoma's number one, Oklahoma State number two, getting the second most amount of first place votes. True or false, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State will will meet in the conference championship game for Bedlam 2.0. Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think it's, it's Bedlam twice this year, and I've, I've been saying that for a while. Iowa State can be a, a spoiler in this, but I just... I've got some questions uh, with them where I think Oklahoma State, Oklahoma clearly are the two best teams when you look across the board, two best teams going into the season. Barring injury, um, yeah, we get bet them twice. I'm going to say it's true. I'm going to say true. Looking at the suspensions, more specifically Ronnie Perkins, the defensive side of the ball, Oklahoma finished number two in the Big 12 in terms of total offense, or excuse me, total defense surrendering 356.4 yards per game. Only team better than that was TCU. Knowing we've got some shift, knowing that Ronnie Perkins may have to sit this suspension out for half of the season, true or false, Oklahoma will finish second or better in defense once again. True, but with higher numbers. Big 12 offenses are going to be better in 2020. So Oklahoma, that's going to be a true statement. They will finish number two or number one, but their yards per game average will be higher than what it was in 2019. Last one from me, Matt. I did want to look at recruiting. I had this one higher up on the list, but I bumped it down to keep keep them in segments, if you will. We talked pretty extensively here about Kendall Daniels. I don't know that we have given a definitive answer. So I'm going to try to irk one out of you, squeak one out of you. I, I don't know the technical I'm not comfortable term, with what you're saying here. Okay, well, let's just jump right into the question then. True or false, Oklahoma is out of the race yeah. for Kendall Daniels. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, that's true. I, he's going to Texas A&M, and I want to be wrong on that because I've been saying all along he's coming to Oklahoma, and I hate to be wrong, but it looks like he's going to Texas A&M. It looks like his mind's made up. And um, yeah, so I'm going to go with that. That's a, a true statement. Oklahoma's out. Yeah, well, sorry for the, that little awkward statement. Can we just erase that? No, we're good. Okay. We're good. Hey, that's going to wrap it up for us. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Make sure you give us a subscription on Apple Podcasts or TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're picking us up. We are thankful that you're listening. And hey, we want to hear from you. We greatly appreciate hearing from you on Twitter at Sports Heartland uh, on Twitter or um, 
hit us up on email, heartland underscore sports at yahoo.com. You can find us on the web, heartland-sports.com, and have a great weekend. Boomer Sooner. <laughs>